Hello and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Thanks, everybody, for that. That was excellent. Great to be singing some Christmas carols. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for the item. And uh, let's just pray. Father, thank you that we can be here tonight, this Christmas, uh, that we can sing. Thanks for uh, that you've laid it on our hearts to venture out uh, to remember the birth of Jesus. It's such a sacred, significant time of the year. And Lord, I pray you just help us to have a good time as we as we uh, reflect on your word now and as we go into our evenings and our days tomorrow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are just going to have a look tonight at that passage, uh, or a passage between uh, Isaiah 7 through to chapter 9. We have some of it read for us uh, just a minute ago. It's a great text. I... Um, want to look at that because it's one of the most significant Old Testament texts when it comes to the story of Christmas. It really uh, tells the story this way. It, it talks about the fact that there's a really difficult time that uh, the nation of Judah, which is attached to Israel, God's ancient people, really difficult time they're going through. But then uh, into that, we hear these words that one day the virgin is going to give birth to a son. And that son, his name is going to be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So what a thought. And, and this son is going to come and he's going to be the saviour of the world. He's going to bring joy and he's going to bring peace. I reckon it's worth just letting that sit, that thought sit upon you for a moment as we come to Christmas this year in 2020. There's a couple of things, you know, here we are celebrating Christmas and Christmas is really about joy. And I think, well, that's something that we really embrace as Australians, isn't it? Christmas is about joy, whether you are religious or whether you're secular, uh, the whole joy thing gets rolled out on a fairly big scale. You know, we go out of our way to uh, buy people presents. Uh, we, uh, I don't know what you do, maybe you buy nice shirts, uh, maybe you, um, you know, put on a really big spread, something exotic. Uh, who knows? I mean, there's a whole lot of different things, but ultimately we want to show love to those that we, that we love and uh, we want to have a really good day. We want to have joy. So it is something we really buy into. Joy is such an appropriate thing, isn't it, for this time of the year? But it's also true that uh, Christmas is not always a joyous time for everybody. In fact, sometimes it is probably the nature of it that the fact that it is a time supposed to be of joy, which really brings home, um, makes louder, amplifies the sorrow, the things that have been lost in our lives, the things we won't have this particular year and, and the difficulty of all of that. And as I think about it, I also think this, I think, isn't it true, you know, Christmas comes at the end of the year. Uh, and so it's a time of looking back over the year. And I noticed today in the Australian, there was a headline that said, uh, good riddance 2020, you know, we're welcoming in, can't wait to welcome in 2021. Well, truthfully, I don't really know what January 1 is going to make any difference when it comes to this world. Uh, but there is that sentiment out there. And, you know, at Christmas time, we do tend to look back, or well, certainly over the week coming, we'll look back over the year. We all know that it's been a year of so many things, a year of bushfires, a year of the virus, a, 
a year of, um, of riots in the streets, a year of destabilised governments, a year uh, where uh, there is tensions, trade tensions between Australia and China and, and so many different things going on. I think it's really important to think about all those things. I want us just to reflect on some of those things and, and uh, put it all together. Christmas is a time of joy, but the world is a troubled place. And really the question that I think it's worth stopping tonight is and asking is, uh, what difference does Jesus make to those things? Um, how does he bring joy? How does he bring peace? It's an old story. We've been singing old carols, uh, familiar carols, just as well, because it wasn't particularly working well on screen, was it? You know, you couldn't see a thing, but hopefully you could sing along. And I'm going to make sure I make a note in my diary for next year to have lots of handout sheets because we don't normally do 7 p.m. services. Apparently it doesn't work very well on the screen. I guess right, Andrew was like that last year too. So it goes in the diary for next year. But, um, you know, what difference does... Jesus make, the world doesn't always run as well as it should. It's interesting, this passage in Isaiah 7 through to 9, it's a passage which is all about the world not actually going well. It's, it's a beautiful context to uh, Christmas. This is how it sort of rolls out. I just want to tell you an old story about you know, an ancient land, and I want to try and do it in about four minutes so you don't go to sleep. It's a really important story for us, this one, because it does tie in to our own lives. And this is how it goes. So just listen along. You know, there is a bloke by the name of King Ahaz, and he was the king of Judah. Well, I think, well, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us as Australians. You know, an ancient king, if you know anything about ancient history, there were lots of kings over lots of small nations and, you know, they're just kings everywhere. It doesn't mean anything to us. And it's true that Judah is really a pretty small nation, but it was really significant. And this is something that the, the original readers of this passage in Isaiah would have really understood. Okay? They would have understood that even though Judah's small, it's really significant. And this is why a lot of you already know, but the story starts hundreds of years before the time of Ahaz, it starts really with uh, the story of Abraham. Abraham being the person that the Bible tells us that God spoke to and said, Abraham, I am going to bless you, childless Abraham, old, childless, childless Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to give you a descendant. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Well, Abraham does have a son and then he has grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And one of the great-grandchildren, his name is Judah. Okay, so Ahaz is the king of Judah. And Judah, he's the original Judah and he's born in, and when he's a middle-aged bloke, could you imagine this? He's a middle-aged bloke and he gets a promise given to him. And the promise is that the scepter will not depart from Judah, from the nation of Judah, until the one to whom it really belongs comes. This is probably about seven, eight hundred years before the story in Isaiah that we're talking about. The scepter won't depart. So we probably all know what a scepter is. A scepter is the king's staff. It says, this, you know, this, you're going to be the kingly tribe of all of Israel. And it's not going to depart until the one to whom it really belongs comes. And so here's Ahaz now on the throne. He's the king of Judah with all these great promises. And I don't reckon anybody thought that he was the one to, which, to whom really it was really talking about. He's just part of the story. But this is the thing that intrigues me that I think is really important for us, is that at this particular story, 
Ahaz, even though he's got all these promises about what's yet to come, you know, about the nation of Judah, even though he's got that, he's not someone that actually trusts a lot in God. And so we see in this story that the, he's, he's in trouble effectively because there are a couple of an alliance of nations, if you like, a couple of nations that are coming against him and he's well and truly outgunned. And I love, if you read through Isaiah chapter seven, you get this great imagery. I love this about the way that, in fact, a lot of the Old Testament stories are told. Beautiful imagery. It says that the heart of Ahaz shook like the trees shake in the wind. So it's like, oh, that's a good little image, isn't it? He sounds like he's pretty afraid. He's got all these nations coming against him and he's, his heart is shaking. He's so afraid of what it's going to mean. And what God does is he actually sends Isaiah to him. So Isaiah is the writer of this part of the Bible. And Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says, Ahaz, don't worry. If you trust me, I will take care of this. But he doesn't. What Ahaz actually does is he says, I'm going to try and figure it out for myself. So he goes to a powerful nation, nation more powerful than himself and more powerful than the armies coming against him, which happens to be this nation of Assyria. And he gives them silver and gold and he says, come and fight my battle for me and I'll give you all all this money. And they do. And what's really interesting about it, and I think this is very significant, is he wins. You know, it all works out. Uh, he, he doesn't have to worry about these enemies anymore because he, through his own genius, if you like, he wins the day. Doesn't listen to God, works it out himself, and he gets a big tick, it's victory. But here's the problem. This is the point I really want us to think about. Even though he wins, within a few generations it turns around and the nation of Assyria becomes a bigger problem than any problem that he had before because he trusted in himself. And even though it works out in the short term, it doesn't actually work out in the long term. I reckon that's a great story for us. I I honestly think it's a genuinely important story for us. And this is why. There's two things that come to me as I was reflecting on it this week. I thought, you know, we're a bit like Ahaz, every single one of us. See what you think. I think we're a bit like Ahaz in that we struggle to trust God We try and work it out ourselves. This is the second thing. We try and work it ourselves and it ends up biting us. It's pretty true, don't you think? We struggle to trust in God. In fact, probably could go stronger than that and say that we genuinely rebel against God. That's how it plays out in the Bible. In fact, right at the very beginning, the story of Adam and Eve and God says, don't eat of the tree and they do, and the reason they true is because they the reason they do is because they say, we want to go our own way. We want to be the kings of our own life. We want to do it our own way. God, according to the Christian narrative, according to the Bible, God is actually the king of this world, which makes perfect sense. He makes everything. And he is kind of like the sun, what the sun is to the earth. You know, our world, he is our world, our lives are to revolve around him. But we say, no, we're going to go our own way. So we fail, we fail to trust in God. People have done it ever since Adam and Eve and it's true of my life and it's true of absolutely one of, every one of us. We, we want to go our own way. We struggle to trust God. We fail to trust God. And then what happens is really the second thing. You know, it seems this way to me is that, and it's not hard to work out, you know, we, 
Humanity, even though they haven't trusted in God, we've, we've made a real fist of things so often, haven't we? We've, we've tried to make things work out. You know, humanity's done incredible things. We learned, our, we learned how to make bricks and mortar and we built cities. And then we, I don't know who first thought of this, but they dug a rock out of the ground and they said, we can melt this down and we can turn it into bronze and we can turn it into iron and we can make tools and all sorts of things out of that. It's incredible how genius we are. But it doesn't actually work out, does it? Like it works out in the first sense, but then eventually we build walls to keep people out and we turn the iron and the bronze into weapons to kill one another. And then it's continued to go that way. And we, we work out that we can take sand and we can turn it into silicon and we build computers. And then we realised that you could get crude oil out of the ground and we could build, use it to run machines and make plastic. And it was just so incredible when we first saw those things. But look at this, you know, look how well we are doing. But we all know the story today as we sit here in 2020 and, and we know that we've built computers and we've built the internet, but it's kind of become like the modern toilet wall in the stuff that we put out there, the way that we destroy one another, things that we write. And, and then we all know about the ecological disasters, about plastic and how it ends up in our oceans and... We don't even need to make the point. It's just a big thing in our society, isn't it? That seems to be the thing that I want us to think about is that, isn't it true? And isn't it worth just sitting in this for a moment and thinking, humanism says that we can fix it. Humanism says that people have got the answers, but history doesn't actually seem to say that. History seems to say that we can't work it out, that we are actually broken and that we come unstuck and we come up with some genius things and they've been wonderful. But generally in the end, they bite us and we don't seem to be able to make our way. And see, that's really the first point I want us to think about is really the fragility of humanity. There is a real fragility to us. And sometimes we don't always see it. Sometimes, you know, life is good and... You know, there's times of joy, and, and that's great, but 2020 has certainly shown us yet again that things are not always as they should be. The fragility of, of human life, excuse me a tick. But then, this is the beautiful thing, and just, I said, it's a, it's a well-known story. But it's an important point to make, isn't it, Christmas Eve, and to stop and think about it. Isaiah 7 through to 9, all about fragility, all about brokenness, all about failure, all about our lives. But then these are the words that come into it in Isaiah chapter 9, the passage that Sue read for us. Let me read just some of it again for you. The people who have walked in darkness, it sounds like us, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them... On them has light shined. It's the Christmas story. And it goes on and it tells us these words. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. There's kind of four names in this. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's quite a statement, isn't it? 
The son that was prophesied, this is, this is a, such an old text. This text actually is 700 years, or 735, I think it is, before the birth of Christ. It's only like 2,750 plus or minus a few years from where we sit today. But it tells us that unto us, this was future tense, but for us it's past, a child is born. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor. What does that say? Wonderful counsellor. It's all about wisdom. There is, we, we are limited in our wisdom, but there is one who is ultimately wise, the wonderful counsellor. And the reason why he's ultimately wise is because he is mighty God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time, isn't it? The virgin will conceive and she will give birth to the Son of God. Jesus, the eternal Son, takes on human flesh and dwells amongst us. He's wonderful counsellor. He's mighty God. And then he talks about the fact that he is everlasting Father. It's a strange name for Jesus, really, isn't it? Everlasting Father, because if you know anything about the Trinity, you know that the Trinity says there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not all the same. They're three but there is one God, but Jesus gets the title here, Everlasting Father. And it's actually, you think, what is it telling us? Probably worth thinking about it. What is that telling us? He's Everlasting Father. Well, I think it's kind of this. It's got something to do with the fact that he is a leader and he's been benevolent, okay, loving. Because that's how it worked in the ancient world. The patriarchs, the fathers were the leaders of the family. And there was a benevolence about them. And that's what it's telling us about Jesus. It's a beautiful thought. He is, he's altogether wise. He's the one that this world needs. And they're altogether wise because he's God. And he is good and he is loving. He's benevolent. He loves us. And because he loves us, he's the Prince of Peace. See, that's what we need. We need a saviour because we can't save ourselves. I just want to bring out two thoughts as we bring it to a close, all right? Two thoughts, which is really just the meaning of Advent. So as Christians, we talk about Christmas time is a time of Advent, and Advent means coming. And the coming is in two ways. These are the two points. And this ties with the fact that he's the Prince of Peace. Jesus comes in the first instance as the baby in the manger, that's the coming. But then the second time we talk about Advent is because he is yet to come. He's going to come as King of kings and of Lord of lords and he's going to rule this world. Because this world is broken, this world is not all that it should be, but the beautiful Christian Christmas message is a really powerful one, isn't it? We can't fix ourselves, but one day he will come. And the trees will sing for joy and the desert will bloom and injustice will be dealt with once and for all and there will be genuine joy. But then we go back to the first meaning of Advent, Christmas time, when Jesus comes the first time. The reason why he comes the first time, sometimes I think, well, why doesn't he just come and just do that the first time and just rule this world and make everything like it should be? That's what people are expecting. But it's so important, isn't it? The reason he doesn't come like that the first time is because if he did do that, there'd be nobody to populate this world because 
The problem that we have is the problem of our hearts. And Jesus came the first time to deal with our hearts. He goes to the cross and he dies there for us. He takes our punishment. Christmas always looks to Easter. He goes to the cross, he takes our punishment. Because ultimately, the message of Christianity has to say that we are not what we should be and God is angry with us for that. But he loves us and Jesus comes and takes our place and he is resurrected and he's risen and he says to every one of us that if we look to him, in him we can find forgiveness and we can find life. And then we remember that he rose from the dead victorious and he's coming again to rule and to reign in this world. I don't know where you sit with all of that. That's the gospel message. But I do think that Christmas time is a really important time for us to stop and to reflect on that and think about our own hearts and where we are, that Jesus came so that we might know the Father. He came to deal with this whole issue of autonomy, this whole issue of us wanting to go our own way. And he's saying we need to turn from that and we need to look to him. And if we do, we can find forgiveness because God loves us and he's made a way for us to be forgiven. And don't give up. There is hope in this world because Jesus is the real king and he will come again and one day he will make all that it should be. But even now for our troubled lives and even now with all the things that you're facing, you can have peace right now because if you look to him, then you'll be looking to the one who runs the show, who loves you and he promises, he promises to care for you and he promises that in him there is a future for you. I reckon that is the greatest news. I really do think it's the news that this world needs to hear. And it's not new news, it's stuff that we probably all have heard, but it's so foundationally important, isn't it? It's the greatest news, if you're parents of a young child, I reckon it's just what you need to hear, that there is hope and there is future because Jesus is the King and if we look to him, there is a future in him. Or if you're an old person or somebody that's frail, I reckon it's the greatest news that you could hear as well because it says that even though you might be looking death in the face, there is hope for tomorrow because of Jesus and what he's done. Or if you're a young person, full of life, and your future ahead of you, it's also the greatest news because it means that there is purpose to your life if you attach it to God. It's not just living for now and hoping it all works out because it may for a little while, but ultimately in the end it won't. And you might well wonder, what is it that I'm supposed to be living for? And we, we can attach ourselves to this because it's the greatest story, the greatest message. It is a beautiful story for us. It's very personal. And so for who you are today, I don't know, I mean, I look out and I see people of all different generations and ages and stages of life, but think about this message for you. We live in a world that is troubled. 2020 has told us that. We already knew it, but it's told us it again. I don't reckon January 1 is going to make any difference. Sorry about that, but it's going to continue. Where are you going to find hope? Well, this beautiful Christmas message, as it says here, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace is found in him. We really want you to think about that tonight. I want you to think about that tomorrow. 
And we'd love you just to respond to that as well. And if you, or if you're thinking about it, it really is about saying, God, I'm sorry. I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to live for you. This is a wonderful gift, the gift of Christmas. Or maybe it's just asking more questions. Maybe it's coming to church and we'd love to point you in the right direction because this is surely the greatest message of all, the message of Christmas. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this old story and this beautiful story. And it is genuinely one that we need because we don't seem to be able to fix ourselves. There's good reason for that. We were never meant to run it ourselves. But you love us. You came into the world to to save us, to make our hearts right, to point us to the Father. And then you're coming again to rule and to reign and you want us to rule and reign with you for all of eternity. It is an amazing story and we might struggle with it. We might find it hard to believe, but I pray that by your spirit that you would work in people's lives, draw us to yourself and may we see that this age-old story that has really punctuated history and humanity, may we make it our own. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.